0: Exciting season in the life of our church. Over the past five years, Grace Life has grown by an average of 33% each year. We've had to rent multiple spaces in this warehouse park and now have expanded to three services on Sunday mornings. When you walk in here, there's just such a, a genuine feeling. And there was no, okay, well, we don't have to go to church. We are like, okay, when is, you know, when's the next service? And we kept coming. The things that we leave with, We use it throughout the week, and we come back with those aha moments like, we got it. Grace Life has a great legacy of seeing lives changed. And if we want to continue having this impact, I personally believe, and the leaders of Grace Life believe, God is calling us to take a crucial step, and that is to build our first permanent home. So together, let's be involved, let's pray, let's give, and we will reach our world. All right, how's everybody doing? Good, man. You guys are a lively crowd today. I'm glad to see that. Well, welcome to Grace Life. We are on part four of our Reach Our World series we've been doing. And uh, honestly, I want to say it's more than a series. It's a church-wide focus on two key things. The first one is that we believe God has called you to have the greatest impact possible in the lives of the people around you. And we simply want to help prepare you to reach your world. And then together as a church family, we want to have the greatest impact possible in our world. We want to reach our world. And so we've been talking about what has been happening at Grace Life and some of those crucial steps that God is leading us to so that we can do a better job at reaching our world. And that first step is to build our first permanent home. Cool picture there. The reason we've been talking about this, Grace Life is growing. It's been growing quickly. But you need to understand we're not just talking about trying to get big and counting heads. We're growing because lives are being changed and people are being reached, and that's worth being excited about, right? And the thing is, is you can look around the room right now. You can figure out we're already at three services. We're running out of space and we're running out of times of the day to continue doing that. And so the reason we're building our first permanent home is very simple: we can reach more people. It's a better facility instead of this warehouse thing that we've uh, decided to have church in. It, it, it will give us a most visible location on a very highly traveled road it's going to give us give us safer kids spaces a better kids ministry as a result of that more space for more people because we're running out of that and and it'll be a much better use of our money because right now we're paying rent to a landlord and we're never going to see that again so we feel like this is what god has called us to do and uh in order to help you with this uh, a couple of things for you the first one is i want to invite you next sunday afternoon. Is the last one we're going to have. We've been having meetings for the last couple of months in small groups of trying to give people the details and to give you a chance to ask questions. So we're going to have a Reach Our World Town Hall, different from the town hall South Carolina's been having lately. This is going to be a little more life-changing, if that's okay. It'll be at 3.30 next Sunday afternoon. It's the last one. It's your last chance. If you haven't made it to any of the other small groups we've been doing, please try your best to come out to this one. We're going to talk through all the nitty gritty details of how we're going to do this and allow you to ask any questions and answer those questions. If you've already been to one of the small groups, you don't need to come. You've kind of already been through that. So the second thing, in order to help you get the most out of this series to discover what God is doing in your life so you can have the greatest impact, we have a devotional that goes along with that. If you do not have one of these yet, we want to help you get one. So right now, if you are on the left-hand side of your row, reach down. There's a bucket under your seat. And pass that bucket down your row. Devotionals are in it. If you need one, grab one. When it gets to the end of the row, just put it back up under your chair. And then also, we have a brochure to tell you more about the project and the building and where we're headed and what we're doing as a church, statistics, and all of those great, wonderful things. If you don't have one of these, I'd like to give you one right now. Ushers, if you'll go ahead and come down front, all you have to do to get one of these, if you've never been given one, raise your hand right now. Or if you want to, take off your shoe and throw it at somebody in an orange shirt. I'm just trying to see if they're going to laugh with us. Raise your hand if you don't have one. Raise your hands nice and high. If you don't have one, we'll get you one. There you go. Great. Thank you. There's hands in the middle of that row, hands in the middle of the back right there, right in front of the sound booth. Whoa, lots of hands right here, Jonas. Missed that completely. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right. Great. And then the last thing, finally, is on the way in the door. You were given one of these, right? A little commitment card. How many of you saw this and said, Oh, crap, honey, we picked the wrong Sunday to come. <laughs> well, first of all, if that, I don't know, that's another sermon. Go back to the surrender sermon, maybe. You don't need this today. Take a deep breath and relax. And as I've been saying all along, through all of the meetings we've been having and every message we've done so far, my promise to you is all I'm asking God for are willing hearts. You will not get any pressure from us. No one is going to knock on your door. No one is going to call you and ask you where your commitment card is. No one is going to ask you to add a zero to your commitment card. That's not going to happen here. I'm asking God for willing hearts. Is that good with you? I will ask one thing of you. Will you do one thing for me? I want you to take this card for the next two weeks and talk to God about it. Is that fair? If you're married, talk to your spouse too. It's a good idea. Put it in your Bible. Put it on your fridge. In two weeks, on the weekend of March 5th and 6th, we're going to come together as a church family, and we're going to commit to what God has called each of us to do in order to lead Grace Life to having a greater impact by building our first permanent home. If you don't feel like being a part of it, don't worry. You don't have to skip that week. You can still come and write Mickey Mouse on your card. You'll have a great day. Okay? Willing hearts is what we're after, no pressure. Everybody, deep sigh of relief. Everybody good? All right, great. So back to our series. We began the series talking about how God has a unique vision for every one of you. He created you for that purpose. We want you to know what that vision is, and we want you to live that vision. And then in part two, we talked about how you, once you get a vision from God for your life, the very first thing he's going to do is, is test your surrender. And the test isn't because he doesn't know the answer. A test from God is essentially like holding up a mirror in front of us. And he's letting us see just how surrendered to him we actually are. Is our vision more important to us than him? Are our things more important to us than him? And then we moved on last week to talking about if you want to hear God and get a vision for your life, or once you get a vision and knowing how to carry that out, you must be able to hear the voice of God. And we talked about how to hear his voice. And so hearing God's voice, I believe, is absolutely essential if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. Agreed? The problem is there's a gap sometimes between what we hear and what we do. Y'all don't want to amen that one, though, do you? I figured I would start out with sharing some stories about how I've not done so well at doing exactly what God asked me to do. But then I realized you might want to go to lunch today and dinner. So I'm only going to share one story with you. And my wife was actually in the first service where she amened very loudly to my story. But anyway, there are many things where I can tell you I haven't done the best job of doing exactly what God said as quickly as he said. And I don't think there's any of them that stand out as much as this one. My wife and I are from two very different worlds. We're literally from different countries. Uh, I I married her when I was a missionary, and she was my translator. And uh, I thought that we understood each other a little bit better than we did. And uh, in my defense, the wedding was in another language. So not sure what I got into. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But they did actually stop and ask me, do you know what you're doing? It's like, yes. Yes. I had learned the word yes in Romanian. I could say that. So we were from two different worlds. We were very, very different people. And so we would get into discussions. Married people, you all have discussions that are really fights, that become silence, that eventually become stonewalling, right? And we were so good at this. We did this on our honeymoon. We got all y'all beat. I mean, those of you that like waited till your first year of marriage was over to have these discussions, we were doing them early on. And, and so, God would tell me when we were silently stonewalling and I was in another room by myself, He would tell me, Go apologize. And guess what I did? Not. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Apologize? That'd be like admitting I'm wrong. I'm not about to apologize. I wouldn't do it. Largely because I was too proud. And then secondarily, because I just refuse to lose. I'm a fighter. I'm a winner. It's just every time I'm going to win at all costs. And here's your quick marriage sermon of the day. When you win, you still lose. But anyway, that's for free. So the result ended up being many, many years of a very painful marriage that did not need to be that way. And if that wasn't expensive enough, the greater result might be the fact that this is what God told me to do with my life. And you can't do this if you want to obey his voice. You can't do this if your marriage is a disaster for anyone out there who's trying to put a Band-Aid on that thing. You can't do this if you won't let God work in your heart and work in your character. And married people, you're with me on this, right? That is what God's after when He gave you a spouse. He's after something in here. And so for many, many years, not only was my marriage struggling, but my calling was struggling. I was not doing what God had called me to do. The vision of my life was on a shelf because I wouldn't obey the voice of God, I wouldn't follow what he was telling me to do. So how about you? Who wants to mic and share your story? How do you do it responding to his voice? Look, every single one of us at some point has said one or all of these kinds of phrases before, like, well, I know what I should do, but... I know what God would want me to do, but... I know what the right thing is, but... I know what the Bible says, but so we've all done that. We've all been there. We know exactly what I'm talking about. I think hearing God's voice is not nearly as hard as obeying him. The number one question I get is how do you hear God's voice? That's what people ask pastors all the time. The truth is that's actually easy to do. Doing what he says is the challenge. Actually obeying his voice. And so today we're just really going to continue last week's message. We began last week with talking about how to hear the voice of God. And and I finished the message with these three phrases I put up on the screen, which is begin to listen, expect to hear, and follow His voice. But I didn't have a lot of time to talk to us about the importance of actually following His voice always and, and as best we can. There just wasn't time. We spent all of our time talking about practically how do we learn to hear his voice. And so I want to pick up really at the end of last week's message and keep going from there. So if we begin to listen and if we expect to hear, and he will speak to us because it's his promise. The one verse I gave you last week that was a promise was out of John 10, 27, where Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. If Jesus is your king, he talks to you. And if he's not talking to you, then go back and listen to last week's message. Maybe you don't know how to hear Or, now pay attention to this. He might not be talking to you because he's already told you enough you haven't done. That one hurt, didn't it? You see, we have to do what he's telling us to do. You can hear him if he's your king. Because although Jesus stood up and promised, my sheep hear my voice, it wasn't much longer he said this. Picking up today, Jesus said to them, all who love me will do what I say. All who love me will do what I say. Another version records it this way. If you love me. Don't y'all love those ifs in the Bible? There's always ifs and then there's always thens. And sometimes we skip them. Here's a really good idea for you. I've learned to circle the word if and then look for the word then that comes after it. It's really important. If you actually want to, get the one plus the one. Because you're not going to get the two if you only do half of it. All right, so go that that was for free. Go looking for the Bible for things say if. And Jesus says, if you love me. And this, by the way, is the entire point. Love. It's not a rule book. How many of you before you were a Christian or somebody you're talking to right now about Jesus? Or some of you might be there right now where you say, I don't really want to do this Christian thing. I don't want to come to church with you and learn about rules to follow. I don't need a God to give me rules. I don't want rules. And the point is, it's not about a rule book. It's not about all the things you have to do or the things you don't get to do. It's a heart condition. It's a heart condition that is supposed to be in love. We say we love Jesus. And so, uh, have you ever seen one of these movies where, you know, it's, it's always like these little dramas, these romance things, and, and they're they really are really, stupid at the end of the day because they would never happen this way in real life. But you, you see these. I actually saw one last week. Do we have any Dalton Abbey watchers in the house? Yeah? All right, three of you. The rest of you need to get saved. <laughs> it's a great show. So last week on the show, as you've seen in many movies, the female breaks up with the guy for his benefit. I don't want you to have to give this thing up for me. I know how much it means to you. And it's so stupid because she means something to him, right? And she's essentially saying, "I, I don't want you to love me because I know you love that. Well, here's the truth in the world. You will always give up what you love least for what or whom you love most. So if you're struggling with something and you consider it a rule, then you really just need to ask yourself what you're in love with, because it's either that or you or your comfort instead of him. And and, and it's just stupid for someone to say, I know you love racing cars, but I I can't be around that. And and you just need to just give me what, how is that better for him? Now he has a car and not a, a, a wife. I can't be Helpful. And it's what Jesus is saying to us. It's not about rules. You didn't come to him and say, "You will not race cars," and that's not what Jesus is doing to us. He's saying, "Look, if you love me, you'll follow my words, because my words lead my sheep on a path to good life." We talked about that last week. You can go back and pick that up there if you need to. And so Jesus actually challenges us on this very point by saying, "This. Why do you call me Lord?" Lord, and do not do what I say. And see, his point is really simple. You can call me rabbi. It means that I teach Sunday school. You can call me teacher. You can call me master. You can call me anything, but you call me Lord, which is a relationship term. It means this. You call me Lord because I loved you enough to die for you. Why would you call me that if you don't love me enough to follow my voice? Wow. It's a really hard word, isn't it? I mean, y'all got real quiet on me. It is a hard word. We we can understand that. I want you to know there was actually a huge controversy shortly after the death of Jesus. Because for so long, people who worshiped God did it through rules. It's all about follow this rule, follow this rule, follow this rule, follow this rule. And Jesus came along and said, look, following all those rules aren't really going to do you any good. What you need to understand is is I'm going to die for you. And then when he died for us, it was no longer about following the rules. But did you have faith that Jesus had died for you? So the controversy went like this. There were lots of people who said, yep, I'm not following any rules. I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. And then they would go and do anything they wanted. And there were another group of people who were kind of torn. They're like, well, I know Jesus said it wasn't about following all the rules, but I look at you and kind of a problem. I don't really see how you love him if that's what's going on in your life. And they would say, well, now, wait a minute. Jesus said, all I need to do is have faith in him. So I've got faith in him. I don't have to follow the rules. And they said, well, I understand you don't have to follow the rules, but y'all with me, you see how that controversy could develop? And we read it in the Bible, in the book of James, and we actually question sometimes, is the Bible contradicting itself? Because in one place it says, look, all you need is faith. You are saved by faith and not by works. But then you go and read scripture and it says, well, your works, you've got to have works. You've got to have works. Faith without works is actually dead. Anybody ever been confused by how the Bible says those two things? I'm going to help you out this morning. Look at the screen. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of, one of you says to them, well, go in peace, be warmed and filled without actually giving them the things needed for the body, then what good is that? And so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Here's the thing. Works is not about following rules or meeting a standard. Works is not about you paying for your ticket to heaven because you can't. A work, if we could call it that, is simply a demonstration of love. Every woman in the room would agree with me right now. On Valentine's Day, bringing roses, it's a very good work. You're not married because of that work. Hopefully your marriage isn't bad enough that she only stays around because of that work. But that's a really important demonstration of love to just show up with flowers. It's a really important demonstration of love to just show up and say, honey, I love you. I mean, we can go either way on this, guys or girls. Let's look at all the spouses in the room for a minute and tell me this. How many of you would like to look your spouse in the face and say, this is really important to me. And they look at you and say, well, I love you.
1: But never mind.
0: Jesus said, if you love me, if you're hung up on what you can or can't do, stop thinking about the rules. The problem isn't the rules. The problem is who do you love the most? It's a good question to answer. I want us to see something, though, before you just start trying to figure out how to follow and do this perfect little thing as exactly as we should do it. I want you to understand the power, the power of obedience. You see, here's the way this works. God works through people. God uses people. As screwed up as we are, I mean, right? Look at us. For some reason, God uses us. And that's another message for another day. I don't understand. But God chooses to work through people to do whatever he's doing. I mean, think about this. God is doing amazing things. Every day, God does amazing things on planet Earth. And rarely does it include an angel or a burning bush. Right? I mean, think about this. You pray to God for provision because you have a need. Does money suddenly start floating from a cloud? No. You pray to God for provision, and one of his people comes to you and says, God told me to give you this. God works through people. You are sick, and someone lays hands on you and prays for you to God, and he heals you. You are down and need to be encouraged, and God knows this. God sends someone to you who says the right encouraging words, and now you are lifted up. God works through people. See, here's the reality of it. The power of the kingdom of God invading our boring, normal lives every single day comes down to people, doesn't it? And so, you walked right into that one. So if you really want to see the power of God demonstrated in your life, in our lives, and in our world, there must be obedient people. It's the power of obedience. If your life is powerless, maybe it's because you or the people you're around just don't follow His voice enough. If we start doing the things He says, man, it's it's going to mess us up in an amazing way. For us as a church family... I have to tell you the truth. When it comes to us building our first permanent home, we will not do that if we do not have people who hear his voice. It just won't happen. There's not that much money in the bank. And then the kingdom of God will continue to come to whoever can fit in this room instead of who can fit into that one. And whoever can find this one behind the truck tires in the warehouse park, instead of who can find the one that will be on a major road. It's the reality of how many of us will hear his voice. So look, here's the truth. We all struggle to obey. Everybody with me on that? We all struggle to obey. Uh, And you know that. That's why you got quiet. You were laughing earlier. You thought this was one of the good messages on how to hear uh, God's voice and and how much God loves you. And now you're like, man, we ever picked the wrong Sunday to come? Uh, They're talking about obeying. Nobody wants to hear that. I don't even like that word. I didn't like it as a kid. I grew up and said, I'm leaving mama's house because I don't like the word obeying and now they're using it in church. So instead of sitting here and talking about how how we struggle to obey and feeling guilty for that and having you just go away one more week and struggling one more time with the exact same problem, I thought it'd be a good idea. Instead of feeling guilty, let's actually figure out what the problem is and fix it. Is that that okay? Let's figure out why we don't obey because truthfully, I don't think many of you just don't want to do what God says. There's a few people, and maybe some of us on rare occasions, we just look at God and go, absolutely not. But it's not very common. That's that's like a battle of the will. When kids do that with their parents in child-rearing class, we we teach that that's a battle of the will. And and it just means you want your way over over your parents. You can't let the kids win. And and so when we just go at it with God, you know, I just want my way. That's all that matters. That's not really very common. I don't think many of you would say that's where I am. Most of us do other things like we just kind of negotiate our problem. God says, I'd like you to go on that missions trip. You've saved money for Disney, and instead of going to Disney, I want you to go on this mission trip, <laughs> and you do something like this. God, I don't really think there's an interference problem hearing you. Something's not right. I tell you what, I will take one of those leaflets and Bibles with me to Disney, and I'll give it to the person who I get my ticket from, because people in Disney need to know about Jesus, too. That's what I'll do. We like to negotiate our obedience with God or sometimes we like to delay our obedience because we're hoping the problem will kind of fix itself like you ever been in a restaurant and God tells you to go over there and pray for that waitress or something like that or 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 somebody that you see all the time and you think well I get my coffee and my bagel here every day God if you really want me to talk to him I'll come back and I'll do it tomorrow and then when you come back the next day she's not there but she's been there every single day forever. See, so go and ask the manager, where is she just sick today? And he said, No, actually, yesterday was her last day. She moved. You see, also in child rearing class, we teach this phrase Delayed obedience is disobedience. Because many, many times, if you delay to obey, it is too late to obey. Because we have a God of perfect timing. But again, I don't think many of us just thumb our nose and say, God, I just, I don't care what you want. I, I refuse. So let's talk about what we really do struggle with. I think this will be a lot more helpful. You see, <coughs> obeying God requires faith, right? Matter of fact, it's actually based in faith. And the opposite of faith is fear. glad you guys are with me. The opposite of faith is fear. And so for those who love him, granted, there are some who do not love him and just flat out don't want to obey him. But I think for those of us who love him, we really do want to obey. And here's the reason we don't. Fear is the key reason we don't follow the voice of God. Fear. Maybe you're not as stubborn and spoiled as a little child and should go home and kick yourself as you thought. Truth is, we just need to identify our fears and figure out how to overcome them. Because fear is the opposite of faith. Here's some key fears. Three key fears that I think keep us from following God's voice. The first one is fear of man. It's fear of man. God tells you to go up to a stranger in a restaurant and pray for him, and you are afraid to do it, right? Anybody ever been there? I've been there. Afraid to do it. Did we miss the key word? Stranger. You don't know them. You're never going to see them again. And somehow impressing them is what you're worried about. Who cares? We get so wrapped up in what other people think of us. Maybe God tells you to take a stand on something that will cost you a job or a friendship. And we say, no, I don't think so because I'm worried about what these people will think of me. Fear of man. Second one is fear of failure. This is the enemy's great victory. The enemy absolutely loves to show up when God speaks. God comes to you and says, you know, I created you. Man, the plans I have for you are amazing. The vision I have for your life is incredible. Let me tell you, here's just a little piece of it. You are going to do. And the enemy immediately shows him and says, yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, right. You could never succeed at that. Haven't you looked in a mirror lately? Don't you know who you are? Most believers do not struggle with getting a vision for their lives. The world is filled with godly people who have God-given visions and they are simply too afraid to take one step and risk doing what God's called them to do. Because they think it's safer right here. It's safer. All right, if you're one of those people, I'm about to mess you up. Is that okay? You Ready for this? Because here's the truth. If God's vision for you is over there, And you are afraid of failure, that if you try to take a step that direction, you could potentially fail, and so you think, I will stay here where it's safer. Over there is a fear of failure, right here is a guarantee of failure. So in a sense, the best thing you've got to overcome your fear is to say, I got nothing to lose. (laughs) The only chance I have is to at least take a step and see what happens, and just for free. God is a big God. God is a big God. He will call you to do big things that will always require risk. If you're waiting on God to show up and say, hey, I got this this real small task. Nobody's going to notice it. If you fail, nobody will see. And if you succeed, nobody will see. And it will not make a difference in my kingdom. The world will keep going around no matter what. Everybody else is too busy. Angels are all on vacation. Can you handle this little insignificant task? If you're waiting on that, it isn't coming. God will always ask you to do something that is significant, that will be visible when you succeed, that will require you to trust him in order for that to succeed, which leads me to the third fear is a fear of trust. Meaning, we're afraid to trust God. We're afraid to trust Him. This is not the two-year-old nursery. So I'm pretty sure that everyone in here has the story. No matter how young you are, if you're in this room, you already have the story. Something did not turn out the way you thought it was going to. Something you prayed for didn't come the way you expected Something you were hoping for simply didn't happen. And the result is now we've become gun shy. And we no longer want to take out a step, take a risk. Because we're afraid of whether or not God will meet us there. There's that time that you felt God told you to go give that person over there your lunch money. And you figured when you got back to your car, there'd be a 20 laying on the ground right beside your car. And you actually went without lunch instead. So you think God disappointed you. And we begin to ask things like, well, if I give this or that, will he actually take care of me? Well, if I do that for them, will will anybody do anything for me? And, And since this will not work outside of a miracle, do you think? God will even show up because, I mean, I don't want to embark on something that I can't make happen if God doesn't show up. Can I be transparent for a minute? The first service said yes, just, just <laughs> so you know. It's a good idea. That... For most of my life, I struggled with the first one, the fear of man. I don't really know why. If I got a counselor, I could probably figure it out. But I grew up an incredibly insecure person, and I was always afraid of what people thought and never thought that I was good enough. And, and, and uh, you know, to be a pastor, you kind of have to get rid of that. And I've successfully, I think, gotten rid of that. I don't really care what people think anymore. Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just incredibly comfortable in being who God's called me to be. I used to hate the fact that I was the shortest person in the room, and now I look at the fact that I'll live longer than the rest of you. That's what the studies say anyway. I've gotten really good at being who I am. And you know, when you're a pastor, everything you say is going to make somebody happy and somebody angry. When you're a pastor, everything you do is going to make somebody happy and somebody angry. So I've already figured out long ago to just give that one up and and that one doesn't bother me so much anymore. And number two, the fear of failure. Well, I'm just kind of dumb in that sense. I'm, I'll do anything. I'll give anything a try. You know, you know those people you can just dare to lick a pole when it's frozen or something? And <laughs> I'll risk anything. I'm, I, I'm the person that just says, let's go. And people say, how are we going to do it? Figure it out on the way. I don't know. Let's just go. So I've never really had a problem with that one. My problem actually, and I know this is hard maybe for you to realize, your pastor would admit I, I struggle with number three, especially in key areas, depending on what God's called us to do. And you know, my biggest struggle right now, believe it or not, is, the, is literally the thing we're doing. Building our first permanent home. Actually, I'm excited to do that. My dad was a contractor, and I've kind of got an architect in mind. And I, that part's fun. You know what part's not fun for me? I'm not rich. And I grew up in a poor home. And praying for millions and seeing them happen is not something I'm used to. And I know for a fact that I have said, Charge! In a few weeks, I'm going to turn around and there may not be anybody there with me. And I'm not going to arm twist. I already promised you that. So it's not going to be what I can do. And I personally can't write a seven-figure check to make up the difference. I'm literally at a place of saying, God, what are you going to do? And I'm stepping out in faith. It took me more than a year to get to this point. You can go ask the elders. We put this off for a year. We actually started and then paused it because... I'm being transparent. Is that okay? I do believe God's going to show up because God's brought the people. God's brought the need. God's done some other miraculous things. And I've told those stories along the way. But if you think it's easy and if you're waiting for yours to be easy, it never gets easy. I want to give you three quick little points. They're not going to go on the screen because I didn't, I didn't do it that way. But just three quick little points to try and help you if you do struggle with fear. There are three truths you need to know. Here's the first one. God is for you. That's how I'm able to say, let's go do this. God is for you. God created you and his word says, if God is for you, who can be against you? Next time God says, I want you to do this and the enemy starts talking, just tell them to shut up. God is for me. God is for me. Number two, you don't have to understand it to obey it. Now, if you're good with God in this area, go thank your parents because they taught you this. And if you're a parent right now and you say, go take out the trash, and your kid says why, and you answer the question, shame on you. You're training them to not follow God's voice until they understand. That was your free parenting lesson of the day. You don't have to understand how if you do this, you will end up there. You don't have to understand how if you do what God is saying, the world will change. You don't have to understand. You just have to follow the voice. And if you wait till you understand, well, it's going to come. Because God is not going to stoop to that level to only work with people who are following their own intelligence. And the third one, following only gets easier with experience. You see, you need confidence to override fear, right? You know why kids are afraid of the dark and we're not as adults? Because we've walked into a room and turned a light switch on so many times it doesn't bother us. You need confidence, and confidence comes from a repeated positive experience. I want to share with you a story, the greatest illustration I know, and if you're not a Duke fan, I need you to be spiritual and pay attention anyway. I had a Kentucky fan who came and objected me after the first service, but anyway. True story. March Madness is about to begin. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be in the tournaments, and every single year since 1991, we've been watching The Shot by Christian Leitner. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right, here's what you may not know, the part of the story. In the huddle right before that took place, the coach said, can you make the shot? And you may think what he said was arrogant. He said, if Grant can get the ball to me, I will make the shot. How many of you think that's arrogant? Good, don't raise your hands. Because it wasn't arrogant, and I'll tell you why. It's confidence. Because what you may not know is he had shot 100% for that game. Meaning every ball he threw up that day had gone through the hoop. He had experience to say, if I try this again, why do you think it would fail? It hasn't failed yet. And see, what you need in your life is you need to throw a ball up and watch God put it through a hoop. So that then you'll have a little bit of confidence to throw another one up and see what God does with that. And you'll get a little more confidence. You see... When you've hit every shot you've taken, you have no problem saying, yep, I'll make it. When you have taken some risk and you have stepped out and you have followed God no matter what, and he has shown up, you will have the confidence to do what he's calling you to do. And most of us, we're actually just afraid. We've never taken enough steps to see him show up, so we say he won't. I dare you, I believe my God will show up. Whatever he's calling you to do, I dare you. Anybody in here crazy enough to take my dare? Whatever he's calling you to do. I want to close by reminding us. This is very, very important. It's not just your life that is affected by how you follow his voice. A little over 10 years ago, God told my wife and I to move here and be a part of a team to help plant this church had a really good job. I had the best job that I could have, job that I had worked to get toward. I was finally the king of the hill in my career and I was I was set to re- I could retire from from there on. We'd also just built our dream house. Come on guys, I had just built an entire garage with a roof structure to hold my pool table above it. And God said move here. So we quit that job, not knowing if we'd have a job here. Matter of fact, not getting one. I came here and delivered pizzas. If some of you ordered pizza from Papa John's 10 years ago off a two-notch road, I might have been your guy. Hauled construction trash in the middle of the night. We lost a lot of money. All of our savings went away and even acquired some debt. It's the hardest time of our lives. And it wasn't just us there are a few other key families on that team and they've all got the same kind of stories of sacrifice and suffering and the point is not to pat us on the back but the reality is god works through people and if we had not obeyed grace life i don't think we would be here not because god isn't sovereign but again god works through people he would have still sent someone and they would have still started a church but it would be a very different church because it would have been very different people does that make sense Here's the truth. You will determine the course of your life and the course of many others based on how you follow the voice of God. You will determine the course of your life as well as the lives of many others based on how you follow the voice of God. Amen? I want to talk last to those people who have heard his voice and have refused to follow. Up until this point, maybe just today, or maybe many times over, you've heard God telling you, you know I died for you. When are you going to do something about that? I want to encourage you to respond to that voice today. You don't have to stand up or come down front or do anything weird. Just right where you're seated. I'm going to lead us into conversation, helping you begin to talk to him. Would you all pray with me? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. I thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your forgiveness. I thank you for paying a price that I owed but could never pay. And my simple hope today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Me and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.